Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this season five of the Legends podcast with me, Sarah Faruya from Sarah Faruya Coaching. And this theme this season is very fucking creative. And I am so delighted to have an old friend of mine here who we did some wild, wild projects back in the mid 2010s together, <laughs> going from UK to, um, to Japan. And that is Zoe Cobb. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to be here. And you're, you're calling in from Italy, right? Yeah, we're in Milan right now. Milan, how wonderful. And so, you know, the way that I um, I view the world is that there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories. And Zoe, before we kick off, I want to ask you this question. Can you tell me a story that has had an impact or some kind of influence on you? I think, yes, I certainly can. I think <laughs> I will start with... There's a story, there was a movie that came out, I think it was even Disney, um, called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was a young, young girl, I watched this um, with my dad. And at that stage, I had my own horse. And this, uh, this idea of Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken was just a bit of a, became a bit of a fantasy for me for a long time. Um, and it's a story of a young girl who sees this, act where they go the horse goes up 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 a ramp really really high and the riders on it and they jump off the the end into water and funnily enough there's also the theme of the male female because she was there was always a man and then she went and met this sort of it ended like a bit of a circus troupe and she convinced them that she could do it so she went up and and um jumped these horses off this giant kind of crane like structure mm -hmm. into the water and she, she, she ran away with the circus. And that's always had a sort of a really, a, it took really deep root in my soul. I love that. I loved that story as a young girl. It had already glimpses of my life as it, as it was with my fantasies with the horses and, um, you know, what, what it could, what it can mean to, to live a life like, like that show person with horses, you know, there was this like show person with horses. What was that deep root, do you think? What was the deep root that took hold there? It was the feeling of doing something um, seemingly impossible, something unexpected, but something just 
like the richness of what the world can provide, you know, like the richness of the opportunities that can happen, mm -hmm. that you go searching for them or they land on your, you, you know, your doorstep or in my case, you know, hitchhiking, jumping, jumping the circus wagon and just, yeah, just the richness of what can happen in life. You know, your stories are, and every life, you know, the, the different ways that we can live these lives, you know. And live so many within one lifetime as well, right? <laughs> what did it give you a glimpse of? Courage, risk, mm. um, gave me a glimpse of possibility, of kind of expecting the unexpected and thrill, just thrill. <laughs> just like... Oh, I've just got goosebumps all over my body. <laughs> thrill. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I could yeah. do a bit of this courage, risk, possibility, expect the unexpected and thrill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're present with us now. And also present with us is one of your um, children, right? Yeah, so <laughs> how nice that we've got a little, a little imagination machine next sitting next to us there. Sorry, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, so it's going to be a little bit of cooing and uh, and laughing in the background there, and that's because our little little friend is with us. Lovely. Okay. She's only with cooing and laughing. <laughs> She's a happy wee one. She is. So absolutely beautiful love that so wild hearts can't be broken maybe i'll try and watch that sometime is it an oldie oldie or is it like from the from the 70s or 80s i would guess 70s or 80s i don't i, I don't know i could don't remember know. okay no problem i will check that after it's this a so wild like predictable disney style like you know <laughs> so the music will give you a cue right <laughs> what, what's <laughs> happening next <laughs> brilliant but that's still wildly creative every film set is wildly creative mm. so i'm gonna give you your creative bio now zoe so please sit back and be uh, amazed by yourself <laughs> so zoe has a background in physical theater group development circus yoga and dance academically she trained at the royal central school of speech and drama with a master's in movement direction and previously in canada with a ba in theater and modern languages she has expanded her training with the thomas richards and grotowski work center national circus school moscow state circus five rhythms and contact improv she created and directed dance theater with her company artful badger in england for the last 10 years she has delivered workshops internationally in Japan, hi, USA, Italy, France, Germany, UK, and UAE. She has led group trainings for the last five years in the corporate theatre and educational worlds, and she currently teaches aerial yoga and circus skills in Italy while continuing to deliver development workshops around Europe. Amazing. We also have May Sawada, who is um, hoping to join the Cirque du Soleil, who is also uh, aerial. She does the silks and aerials, uh, who is my previous guest on the podcast. So for anybody who's interested, go back and listen to May. She's 18. So Zoe works with personal and group development through somatic or kinesthetic approach. Her unique revealing work is a combination of practice in physical theater, circus, nutritional studies, and energy healing. She has worked with executive corporate leadership and development internationally for three years, specializing in situational leadership, self-organization, masculine, feminine balancing, and she continues to direct and perform in artistic projects. 
wow <laughs> and we met on one of her kind of corporate slash creative um endeavors which went ahead back in 2015 2016 time so wow zoe so 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 uh i always caught thought of you as a dancer but actually it's way more than that isn't it it's a movement specialist perhaps i don't know how do you or do you just not bother labeling yourself well, to be honest, in the past few years, I haven't labeled myself, but movement specialist is definitely what I went with a while ago. Uh -huh. um, because first of all, I've had so many trainings personally in my body, but then also just working with really different, a whole different scale of artists or, or people that need different styles of movement, different styles of dance as a, as a choreographer, as a, as a movement trainer. So there's, and, and then also just movement of the daily body and the daily life, you know, so there's that side of it as well. Lovely. So Zoe, I'm really interested in understanding people's journeys to where they are now. So I'd love to hear about what's your background, your your ancestry, and what was your childhood like? My background, my ancestry. So my mother comes from an Italian-Irish family mm -hmm. that moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, my little pterodactyl. Uh, <laughs> that moved to Canada three generations ago. Mm-hmm. And they lived as, at that point, sort of post-war kind of shameful Italians in, in Canada. And they all, they all kind of hid their language. And so the languages were lost quite quickly. And then, so, yeah, so her father did various jobs, was very creative with his work as well. He did like, he ran a bowling alley and then he was an insurance broker. And then he, like, there were many different kind of um, parts to his, his career while her mum was a housewife and did you know lots and lots and lots of work of keeping the house together and three kids going which now i'm appreciating <laughs> yes i'm sure you are now you've got your two yes and then my father's side comes from really quite originally northern england which is i, I always claim my my viking roots from that side yeah uh and they came down into south england and my my grandfather was a colonel in the military and my my grandmother was very creative in fact when i listen to other people talking about her and she had a lot of power and in and in a lot of creativity and in many respects a bit frustrating for her as that the the era that she lived in because she didn't have many channels to, to put it into so but she she did she found she was, she was an incredible investor she invested in she was basically responsible for taking our family to a, a, a much more comfortable place. And she was painting, she was a painter. She painted as well, mm. um, but not avidly, but just, you know, we still have, I still have a really lovely swan painting she did. Mm. My grandmother, Gan, and my grandfather was a very fastidious. Um, he drew, he was a cartographer and he drew and detailed the most complete collection of all the train train lines and everything on the island so on england on the on the british isles so mm -hmm. all of the island oh many islands sort of like this huge tomb of a, of a book of when the train line opened who opened it when it closed when it changed like every detail you could possibly imagine and was one of the oldest recipients of a phd from cambridge which was quite an event for the family wow uh, yeah um so that was my grandpa cobb and then my parents both kind of they both found each other in canada um dad went over for military training and in um, medicine hat and then found 
uh, found my mum ski patrolling. <laughs> um, so they were on the on the slopes and married, had three kids. Dad's also got a creative streak that was kind of banged out of him through English boarding school and military training. Mm-hmm. Um, and went into property management and property development. And mom actually did. I remember as a child had straight changed bouts of, I, I think partially got my costume passion from her. Um, she would go out in a clown costume and go and sing at kids' birthday parties, which I totally forget was part of our lives. But I, there were moments when I just remember, like, I found also my mum's old wig. And I was like, of course. <laughs> Legend. Dress up and go, go and sing at kids' birthday parties. So there's a side of me that's definitely connected to that as well. Oh, yeah, I can really see that, actually, as you say that. But what a legend. It's just so funny, the things you remember, isn't it? I think my mum and dad are both frustrated artists as well, and my granddad. You know, my mum's a real crafter, but she made beautiful clothes and patchwork, and she still, to this day, crafts and has, like, a craft sensei. And my dad loves photography and music and stuff like that. So and my granddad painted and he did marketry, but none none of them for, for their living, just... Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things that was there. It's just, it's funny how, I don't know, in this day and age, it seems to have become so kind of commodified in a way where you're supposed to make a living out of it. But then it was just called a, an interest or I suppose a hobby or something like that. It was just something you did. It was integral to your life <laughs> and, and, and clowning at kids' birthday yeah. parties. Yeah. How brilliant. Yeah. What do you think the influence they had on you was? I remember really strongly having having left education. Like my, my parents gave me a very uh, a great education at a school that allowed us to go out to the mountains, allowed us to do all kinds of things. We had small classes. It was really really lucky, lots of creativity, and yeah. um, I just felt like they gave me the uh, anything's possible. Um, one second, I'm just gonna touch baby. Okay. <laughs> I'm all for um, I'm all for uh, letting the babies be there and letting them be with you and on you and everything as part of the podcast. So please go I mean, on. <laughs> of course, you know. Anything's possible. I remember really uh, speaking to my father after I graduated and he said, so, so what are you going to do? And, you know, I was going in heading into theatre and modern languages. So what are you going to do with that? And he was, he was very concerned with how I would apply and how I would make money and how I would, you know, and I just remember responding, I don't know, I'll design shoes for this company and then I'll go and um, fly and do, like, I just remember having a really, like, really flippant, but also really colourful response. Now yeah. like a really cheeky, kind of a little bit spoiled daughter, but just possibility. My, my parents definitely gave me possibility. That's great. And so then where were you raised? Were you raised in Canada or in Britain? And I think you moved around a bit, didn't you? Yeah. Tell much. us about that. Um, So dad went out of the military quite soon, but I think still had quite a strong element of his lifestyle involved with that. So we were in Canada and then we had a beautiful farm outside near the mountains. And then we went down to California because he, from the army, had a a polo playing habit. Mm -hmm. So we went down and played polo in California for a while. And then we moved to England where his family was and where I spent a lot of time with my cousins and have really great memories of, of my English years. We started school there and then finally my mum just said, look, I need to go back to Canada. So we packed up when I was, and, and do you know what, I started the, the Royal Ballet there. 
What? And I loved it. I was yeah. in the ballet schools. It was really my heart and soul. I remember finding my slippers and my books that my mum gave me and just bursting out, bursting into tears because it was a really big part of my life and it was really hard to leave that when, I, mm. when we went to Canada. In fact, I went into kind of a weird depression at, at nine years old when we moved back, when we moved to Canada, back to Canada and tried to find my dance school again and just didn't exist. And so then I went into gymnastics instead to try and search somewhere else, which was another actually very useful education for me and then ended up in theatre. So then then after that, we basically stayed in Canada until I was 17 and I decided, I finished school at 17 and I decided that I wanted to see the world. And I had saved up um, grooming polo ponies to save, to, to save the world. I wish. <laughs> Freudian slip, my dear, Freudian slip. Which part of Canada were you in, by the way? Outside of Calgary, so near the mountains on the west side, mm-hmm. the real cowgirl country, mm-hmm. uh, which informed a lot of my my upbringing, and um, and then travelled around the world. So I spent a year, in a sort of what what would be called a gap year, travelling. I started in Australia, New Zealand, Nepal, India, and then travelled through Europe. I got ridiculously ill. I had real I had probably like a a trauma awakening and it coincided with the time that my parents were in court deciding quite difficult things between them and and about us and I ended up really just landing (laughs) sitting next to uh, a llama Um, he decided that that I needed to sit next to him in the in the in the teachings and and just really I had a very privileged look into Tibetan Buddhism in, in Nepal, in Kathmandu, mm. sitting next to the halls of all the long um, trumpets and the monks drinking yak butter and reciting mantras from their little books and sitting at the table. And I was certainly the only woman and definitely the only white person in, in this hall for, for a month, which I, you know, it's one of those sort of puzzling experiences that just lands on your lap um not really understanding why or how or and then at the end of it he said okay now you need to go home and and make peace with this situation which I had never recounted anything it's sort of it's a bit of a mystical encounter that I had there I'd never recounted anything to him about my family situation but he said he said okay now you need to go home (laughs) so um I left Nepal traveling on my own through through India at I just turned 18 and ended up finding a few different meditation paths and that was a really it was a really big year for me it, it changed a lot for me Sounds and, like and processed quite a big trauma what I seem to understand now ah yeah yeah we've, we've got that language available to us now then we didn't really have then did we no. But um, that's really fascinating. And this this mystical experience you had where you're like this inexplicable invitation <laughs> to this Lama and just sit with him with those massive trumpets in Tibet. How fascinating. Hmm. And what do you think that what was the influence of that story on you? Again, deepening this pos- this path of anything's possible, like wow. literally just the unexpected, expecting the unexpected, just, you know, life has so many possibilities. And um, I don't know what I think about destiny or predestination or any of those, those chats. Um, I tend to avoid them, but these um, quite extraordinary experiences 
can happen without you searching them or maybe you're searching them on a deeper level you don't know you're searching them i don't know how how it, any any of that works no i don't i don't know if anyone does but yeah i think it widened the the gap the the the, the gap it widened the 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 scale of possible it widened the scale of possible i love that and i i, I want to honor how humble you are about this as well you're like i had a mystical experience and you know i don't know how i feel about destiny or predestiny um i find i mean that to me perhaps is one of the reasons why you and i connected so so well is because um i don't know i mean i i love mystical magical experiences but i also most certainly do not want you to imagine i'm some kind of guru with some, <laughs> with some kind of magical wisdom for you or something like that does that make sense yeah yeah destiny and predestiny can you just tell me what it is where you're like I don't really think about what what is it what's about what is it about that I don't know I've had I mean my for example my mother-in-law here is really into your what your destiny is and you know my mother was a teacher and she's a teacher and I've ended up spending a lot of my time and, and gaining a lot of my my income now by teaching and she said you know her discussion was Oh, it's all about destiny, and I think we li- we we have the possibility to min- to live many lives in the life we're living. And I think maybe my acting or maybe studying of actors made me um, look at how many sort of versions of ourselves there are in ourselves. You know, if you will, like how many parts of ourselves we can tap into if we choose to or not choose to, or kind of where we take ourselves is one of the possibilities. I just think it's really endless of what the resources of the human experience are, if you want. It's like how, how far we can, how many different, yeah, how many different parts of ourself I think we can, we can experience. Or, or maybe that's, that's too selfish, you know, right? how many different parts of the human experience we have in, in, within our, our, our capacity. I, you know, that actually makes me relax a bit because, you know, Honestly, I've been feeling a bit stuck in a rut recently and a little bit I mean, <laughs> surprised. We've just had, we're in a two year and two and a half year pandemic. So we literally are stuck in a rut, but, um, or have been coming out of it now. But um, that idea that there's, there's all these different selves we can access just as part of the human experience, not as something outside well all all things of the human experience or something that needs to be managed or medicated it's just it's so relaxing to me it's Mm -hmm. it makes me feel oh thank god thank you for reminding me of that zoe Mm -hmm. thank you (laughs) so what happens next then after this you go home you you make your peace what happens next then I went off to university on the East Coast to study, and I decided to study languages and, um, and East Coast theater. of Canada or America? Uh, on the East Coast of Canada. Yeah. In a place called New Brunswick, um, okay. near Halifax. I, I chose to study languages and theater because I watched a Vim Vendor's film <gasps> called Wings of Desire. Yeah. And they have all those beautiful languages, mostly European languages in it, but languages in it. And I was like, I want to understand those. And then there's this one scene um, that has also always remained part of my psyche, which is this the, the, the trapeze artist. And it's just been such like that whole, you know, there are angels that are on the, you know, it's just the whole story is really, that's another one of those, those landmark stories in my life. 
so I chose fairly flippantly to study languages based on an evening of watching that film with one of my like really good friends at that moment and um, traveled across the country basically to get as far away from honestly now when I look at it, as far away from my parents situation as possible uh, through myself across the country yeah and um, and which is literally farther than it is from here from Europe to, to, to Canada so it's a really distance in Canada yeah it's huge I think people forget how well well I certainly forget especially little island people like myself we forget how vast places like Canada Australia America Asia Russia are you know it's Mm. amazing Mm. um so you studied your languages and then so and then this takes you I suppose into your mid-20s early 20s and I did my I did three exchange programs because I was in a liberal arts university where I could design my own programs I went into uh, France for a year, Germany for almost a year, and then wow. Spain for about half a year. And uh, did some languages and then did theatre in each one of those countries. And then graduated um, with my Bachelor of Arts. And then I took a year, we left university hitchhiking with my boyfriend at the time. And that, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Um, but it was up through Eastern Canada, which was actually quite friendly, friend, hitchhiker friendly at that moment. And we joined the circus. <laughs> you joined the circus? Yeah, well, I had two, two very important encounters. I, I found we, we started hitchhiking with this uh, number 11 theater company, mm-hmm. um, which was a, an offshoot of Grotowski, Grotowski's training. So um, Jersey Grotowski was an, a Polish theatre director and had really a really strong strong training methods really unorthodox training methods which is probably not to be not you know to be expected out of a a fringe polish director but um ended up becoming really uh really fascinated with his type of theatre which was very transformative for the person it it is almost like yeah very transformative for the person at the same time as as training you as an as an actor or as a performer and they took me under their wing for a while we traveled with them and then i chose actually eventually to go back with them and spend some more time with them um later but then after that um encounter where they would spend loads of time together they spend a year together working on one show and each one of them would learn a new skill, so a new instrument or a, or a new like stilt walking or um, the accordion or um, learn a language for the show. So their character would, would come to life through this new skill. Just so much integrity and so much respect for those processes that take so much time and very little. It just is a dedication of life, really, that kind of working. And I left them with, and then we, the next person we got picked up with was literally the Moscow State Circus. So that was another turning point in my life. <laughs> I mean, what just got picked up by, I mean, what were they just passing by and you, oh, what, literally, that's what literally, happened. Literally, hitchhiking, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so good. That's kind of mystical as well. <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, these kind of people, yeah. these things showing up for you. Amazing dedication integrity process that's what I'm taking from this part here so you got picked up by, by the Moscow circus and then what happens next I don't even know if I want to ask amazing love it love it oh, 
Yeah, it's really really Um, So then my boyfriend at the time was like, yes, let's do it. And I was like, no, I'm not into this. This guy's this guy, like the guy who picked us up was doing the posters at the beginning. He was a bit creepy for me and I really yeah. wasn't into it. Um, and my boyfriend at the time was like, yeah, this is a brilliant experience. Let's go for it. So I, 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 he convinced me. We went. I started selling cotton candy at their next performance. So I had a little cotton candy stall. Um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And made like just went to town with it just made so much money. It was just uh, uh, it, it spoiled my working um, ethic because it was just such easy money to, to sell cotton candy. And they and got introduced to a really intense kind of old school wolf pack culture where the men would pr protect these huge circus men like it was a, a circus made up at that point of uh, a Mexican side of the, the family and then a Russian side. Um, and the men were just really properly big, big, big men. Um, and they would protect the women in the family and then the kids. And, and I had a, um, an astrophysicist geek as my boyfriend that just was like almost the same size as me and definitely skinnier. And so didn't have the protection that would have been necessary so the boss literally took me under his wing after you know a few attempts at my at my safety from other wolves um and so he gave us a special place to sleep which was you know there's there are lots and lots of stories there it was it was quite um it was it was very difficult to be there because we lived in a little caravan that always traveled every night a new place to to set up the next day there was a fair amount of aggression but then one of the high high rope performers came down and left and they offered they asked me if i had any training i said well i've done gymnastics and ballet and then they took me on and trained me every morning and night i had this the grandfather of the mexican side called hector uh trained me every morning and every night and i had just a really quick <laughs> training to throw me up on the it's called the Spanish web, which is a rope. Um, and there's a loop at the top and you either go in with your wrist or you go in with your ankle and that someone at the bottom spins you round. So you make these shapes that kind of get spun round in, in space, um, in the air. And I had a really uh, initiation of fire to, to go up on that. And then um, we had, which was just literally a dream for me. It was really, I, you know, I can, I can just remember being just so happy, even though we were living in this like smoke hut because the, the boss just constantly chain smoked and we had our bed on the top bunk and it was just disgusting. We we're eating out of tin cans and like doing anything we could j just, you know, just, just really cheap living to get by. We'd go to the, to the bank literally with a bag full of coins from the, <laughs> um you know savings for for the next next leg of the of the post-graduation adventure and so now he wanted to leave because he didn't he didn't have much respect from all the big hunters who was setting up the circus every night and pulling it down and i was getting to perform and uh we crossed the border going into america and basically the circus fell apart because there were some felons in the circus. And so the police came and pulled it all apart. There's lots of really, really good stories. Um, wow. That was an adventure. <laughs> and 
and 9-11 had just happened. Oh my. And so my mum was like, get out of America. She was really panicking and and really panicking for the company I was keeping. And, you know, I just couldn't keep it at bay anymore. So he wanted to leave and, and we left. Very good. And so would you say that on those on those ropes there on the Spanish web, was that like a peak experience for you? Was that like, a, you know, I was talking last night about when I used to sing in a choir and how it felt like I was going to take off sometimes because I was just so in it. It's like such a peak experience. Was that what it was like for you? The way you were describing it there, it felt like it. Yeah, it was a real like, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if you can say it, but it did feel like a soul encounter. Like it was just yeah. like a, like, I think I probably, and I've had, you know, some, again, I, I'm, I'm, my life is full of these strange encounters with psychics and weirdos that come up to me, weirdos, whatever a weirdo is. Uh, that's what uh, I was hi. <laughs> Yeah, he's having me to qualify. Um, I was working in a health food store and she came up to me, uh, you know, she didn't buy anything. And she just said, you're a gypsy heart and you should be uh, in, a, in a circus traveling. This was years before that had happened. So there's something, you know, it was a really strong experience. I loved it. I loved that. Wow. Loved Wow. Well, okay. So three words to take away from your, uh, th those circus experiences, what would be your uh, three kind of words that you would take away from that? That's a good question. Uh, thrill. Thrill. Just, I don't know, joy. Uh-huh. And ha hard work. Oh, thrill, joy, and hard work. Love it. It's very, very tough. Right. Wow. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, you don't just get on a, on a rope and start spinning around, do you? No, there were a lot of tears. <laughs> I remember a lot of tears. So let's take us through the next 10 years then. And then we, then I decided to, I needed, I wanted to study more and I sort of put the nets out in various places and had my English side of the family um, in London. So I applied to a few places in London and it took me with my boyfriend at the time who was also English and also applied in London. Um, we moved over to London to, for me, I got into the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama and he got into Goldsmiths. Oh, yeah. And um, we both started uh, student life there, started nannying to keep it together and um, and had my family. So a lot of my cousins that were kind of like my brothers and sisters really uh, around me, which was really great. I loved it. Fairly traditional education with them. And then fantastic though, really, I wanted it to be more performance heavy, but it was much more direction heavy, which actually served me better because I was already, when was that? That was 2007, 2006, yeah. 2007. And came out of that with some good qualifications, had some work at the National Theatre, had some work at um, other big repertory theatres around London. Um, was that acting or, or dancing? Do you know, uh, choreography, basically. Ah, uh, choreography, yeah. But what in England is called movement direction, um, okay. that is a bit of a head of ahead of the 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 wave. Because, for example, in Italy, so if you say movement direction, people really don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, so it's choreography, but it can be choreography from anything. From one of my favorite jobs and one that I quote quite a lot was a story about an autistic boy who had an obsession with cats and he um, just wanted to be a cat. So through the, the performance, his, his physicality had to transform slowly into uh, a feline 
on on all fours so that was a brilliant job just how to how to drop in these like you know feline moments um <laughs> that uh that could allow him to slowly transform entirely into a cat yeah um, that was good and through that actually during that time in university i met five rhythms dance which i just just did every i did literally did it every day because in london there were courses all over london um for a few years and then sort of slowed down to once a week but really found my community there and got invited by one of my f uh, now friends to go and dance at, at one of the festivals and then charlotte tiley enters here she was at the festival and she had made these animal masks and she gave me really by chance she i didn't really know who she was at all but i was around and she gave me this owl mask um which was actually always my mum's kind of spirit animal we always had loads of little owls around the house so that was also another quite um quite a magical moment yeah. um and the owls really stayed with me uh since in fact i have my last owl mask in the house here and there's an artist here who saw the owl mask and he's kind of heard a bit of my history and now he's he's making me he's so good at it and he's making me a big owl mask i'm so excited oh wow so i think this is just a great point to kind of move into when you came to japan and that whole project we did together and i just want to give a little bit of background so you mentioned um charlotte what's her surname charlotte tiley is her is her maiden name okay i knew her as charlotte dylan so dylan. yeah that was her former married name I think so she is this incredibly talented mask maker and you know I didn't even really know that was a thing I still have my mask downstairs mm -hmm. um, that I made with her but she makes these incredible animal masks and and such and the marriage of the animal masks and your physicality and I mean there's one of my favorite videos I'll try I'll find it and we'll link it below is of you going around this festival and you're dressed in these little kind of gold hot pants or something with a mask on and kind of just walking around like animals and just weaving through the festival and stuff like that and I believe that's all is this all connected to Artful Badger as well perhaps we can kind of and we did this six month leadership journey for women together which was marrying kind of corporate training coaching movements some kind of energy work and also uh dance um, and taking these kind of 12 women from all kinds of backgrounds from for example Goldman Sachs style things to to other movement entrepreneurs to um you know translators all different women through this amazing and we still keep in touch actually through this incredible program it was really really interesting six month journey program with lots and lots of different elements and um so we were part of the first kind of element of that back in 2015 I think somewhere around there it was a very kind of creative I mean obviously all your periods have been creative but it's creative in a different kind of way I think uh, because that mm -hmm. was your doorway into corporate training, maybe. I'm not sure. or to, yeah. I'm not sure if that was. But um, I just want to hear a bit more about that. So all these festivals and all that. Because it was just so, like, so wildly creative, the Artful Badger stuff. For me, when I look at that, it just makes my heart sing. To, to see it and to feel it and to think about it. And to just to think about all the stuff that goes in it. And the owl performance that you did as well. Was that on a hoop? Yeah. <laughs> so no, like, uh, a sling. Sorry, a sling. A sling. Okay, so there was like this 
gorgeous. Again, I think that was another Charlotte one, wasn't it? Charlotte's made a couple of them, and then I took on the just because I destroyed them. And, okay, yeah. So um, you you become skilled at that after a while of doing loads and loads of these masks. And you had a mask and movement workshop that you did together as well. So you wear the masks and then you do all this movement together. It's very vulnerable, but it actually becomes quite, you get quite wild. I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. it so much. So uh, over to you, because uh, that's my kind of take on that time. So bring us from that kind of festival time, the Artful Badger, the Gold Hot Pants, all that stuff and <laughs> the stuff that you did with Charlotte. And I think there was a lady called Eva who was involved in that as well. I'm not sure if uh, yeah. what, what you'd like to talk about there. Go yeah. ahead, over to you. I'm just so excited by it. <laughs> <laughs> Sequins and glitter for sure, and yeah. masks and lots of dance and lots of great music. And Aoife, Freddie and I um, formed a company called Artful Badger around that encounter with Charlotte and, and the music at, at actually what was called the Secret Garden Party at that point. And Charlotte made the masks for us. And we went on a long, like, eight-year, nine-year journey of providing um, performance for events, but also putting on events ourselves, putting on parties, showing up at unexpected places. And I worked um, with a technique that I had found from Grotowski's training, which was this um, sort of improvised movement together in a group. Um, and I worked with that with the performers over years and years, because first of all, I thought, I, I saw it and thought this is a brilliant performance just in itself. Um, and so we found costumes, the animal masks, and we put them together with this um, improvised movement in, in the group and um, called, called it flocking, yeah. uh, as birds do. And used it as a performance uh, for many festivals. And it's a roaming performance that just engages in anything and everything around it as well. Um, so the music or the or the landscape or the other or the other people around. So it's really interactive. And I noticed while I was doing this, I noticed through the years with the performers, but also during the performances that I could really see a lot. First of all, I could see a lot of their personalities coming out. But I also noticed a lot of it changing and a lot shifting and also how amazingly we formed the group of performers. They're just they're all still really good friends. Um, we really created a, a group of people that are and, and that part makes my heart sing like I love that they're they you know they're, they're having kids now and they're all traveling the world and they're you know a lot of them are international international so they're going back to different different countries but they're all in touch and it's a really beautiful network. <laughs> she wants to say something don't you hello she wants to be part of she's flocking with us honey she's flocking <laughs> she didn't want to be down there she wanted to be here flocking with us oh, hey really flocky flocker right? <laughs> meet the flockers um <laughs> what the flock <laughs> oh we're here all week <laughs> um so um so then i pitched this idea i thought when I, yeah, when I graduated, I thought I want to help educate the, the corporate communities. And I pitched this idea at a, at a festival that I heard of that one company that we worked with did. And then through a friend of a friend took up this idea and we went up and did the, did the flocking in, you know, in a workshop style in kind of like a, a marketing festival where 
the corporates could come and and see different was that um, learn fest exactly was yeah. it oh yeah so that yeah. was through uh, our other friend tiffany yeah and impact international yeah exactly. interesting yeah exactly and that it worked and it definitely caught tiffany's attention and also the the boss of of impact was really into it and then a few of the educators were really delighted by it and that kind of took sarah and i on uh, on a journey around the world really for a few years yeah and really opened up the, the possibility of something that i had 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 a vision of like i had seen that it was really beneficial for just the development of being in groups the development of well-being within the individual finding your place and, and strength and in enrollment, engagement in, in groups, and also opening up innovation and creativity in the person in ways that this taps into the, what I was speaking of in the earlier parts of the interview is like these parts of yourself you don't even have, you know, like giving people the opportunity and the, and the structure and the format to go through what I call improvised movement. So not to freak out my, I'm not asking you to dance, but just different sides of self come out and unexpected sides, which really opens up possibilities to, to what can be done um, in different situations, in different companies, in, in your life, in what, however you want to apply it, really. So we had a great team that helped apply that for our, our workshops, landing, landing that information either in their company roles or in their personal lives. It was really powerful. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage, I think, for people to step up and do something like that and to do the movement. But so much comes out of it because it's so physical and it's done in silence or it's done without the verbal channel. You're really plugging into the movement channel and the gesturing channel and you have to follow and watch people. And and then, you know, magic can really happen like when the magic happens, when the shift happens. And I don't want to give too much away about that, but something happens and something happens <laughs> and it's just like what just happened <laughs> mm. yeah there are real penny drop moments as yeah. well there's still one woman um who i remember she just literally we sort of evolved in the workshop and it was near the end so there was a lot of there was a lot going on in the room uh, and she just literally stopped and i just i noticed her stop and went over and, and chatted with her and she just had this penny drop moment this just like ah oh, like kind of literally she it was like the breath had been taken away and um because i i quote find your bliss you know follow your bliss yeah yeah the, the joseph the, campbell you know? yeah yeah um and it's about being in the place where you're in your bliss you're in your joy and finding that you know finding the channels to get there and be there as often as possible uh which makes you the best person and the best team member possible no and um she just had this it's making my it's giving me goosebumps um penny drop moment where she was just like i i don't know how to find my group play like, my spot my my bliss like i don't she just she felt in, invisible and then she explained that she felt like she didn't know where she, what she was doing and how she didn't have a space and she didn't and she was this beautiful tall like proper presence in the room like she you know she she did hold a lot of space as well yeah um but she just had this moment where she realized that she doesn't she doesn't know she does, you know, she, she was, she was, it, it sounds strange, but it's, you know, no, invisible it and she didn't know she had that space. And now she was in that space and it was kind of freaking her out. Like she kind of just, did, it was this moment of like, whoa. 
And we debriefed a lot about that afterwards. And she was just like, that was a really important, you know, things like that. Are yeah. Just really yeah. gifts from that. And it, it comes from, I mean, I think in systems coaching, we call it essence. So it comes from nowhere. And it very often comes when the verbal channel's not engaged. And it comes when the verbal channel's engaged as well. But when you take the words away and you force people into their bodies, because we're so up here so much, and that's where we're comfortable and we can rationalize everything. And, you know, most people who find their way into our rooms are very clever. So they've got lots of language, right? You know, and, but once you take that away, first of all, it's very confronting and quite, um, it's quite vulnerable. You know, so oftentimes we get people to kind of make their movements larger so we can find out what's in there. So, you know, if somebody's kind of thinking and they're going like that, be like, what's that? And then you get them to be, do it lighter, tiny. Fine. And, and that's quite vulnerable as well, right? To kind of try and pull out the, we call it unfolding a signal, and unfolding a nonverbal signal. I think it's something very similar, but you do it with the whole body. Well, we do it with the whole body as well, but it's just, I would love to, I, I want to work with you again now. I'm so like, so pumped, but it's just... It's so incredible. And, you know, working in a, in, a, in a tight group like that as well, a lot of stuff comes out. And that was a really interesting period of time. I think the last time we saw each other was in Dubai. <laughs> when we, we went through, maybe that is the last time we saw each other. That was a pretty bonkers trip as well. So tell us what happened between now and then. So I didn't know you had Italian blood, or maybe I did. And now you live in Italy and you're married to an Italian man with these little little no. <laughs> multicultural little baby Italian bambinos or and <laughs> um, what's what happened after that like so I, be, I believe you were in some kind of choice at that time I think there was <laughs> a yeah. couple of lovers in play maybe which I find utterly thrilling as well <laughs> I don't know I think that may be a little bit too much but or, or a little bit too saucy the way that I've pitched that. <laughs> or maybe there was two interested suitors. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> a definite choice to make, which I made it a bit, I, I was a bit messy with that, but on all, all sides we've times forgiven that. But um, yeah, I met my, my husband in Italy, and oh no, in Italy, in London. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was around when the Artful Badger was basically, we were doing our shows in, in the vaults underneath Waterloo Bridge, and it was. Wait, what? Where you were doing? You were doing like performances under in the vaults under Waterloo Bridge. Yeah, beautiful. We spent three years. They came to us and said, "We've seen some of the stuff you do. What would you do if we gave you half an hour slot uh, for a performance?" And it was really close to the time, and I just said no. This is my classic. I said no to the circus, obviously, and then said no to this, and then Eve. I just said well we could do we could do this could do this and convinced me and we ended up putting together shows for the the vaults festival which was just beautiful wow it was just like you were talking about wild creativity like the what what goes on they still have the festival um in those vaults uh for those for that month um it's it's basically like a london fringe but the creativity and the artists and the it's just really I, I miss those times. It's re- it was really exciting. It was really beautiful. That was probably another, what did you call it? Essence moment? No, another. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, an essence moment where it just kind of comes up. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, gorge. Um, So we had three years of three shows and I got to sort of direct and choreograph those, which was 
bliss. <laughs> amazingly stressful. Um, yeah, of course. Always under under uh, underfunded and. But we got great audiences and amazing feedback and also great opportunities off the back of it. So um, that was that. We segue into that. So we were doing those shows and Aaliyah was around. So he met me kind of in the prime and we just started working corporate stuff as well. So there was a lot of just really innovative, really exciting stuff going on. And he was just like, marry me. Um, <laughs> Love it. We had, a, we had our flat in in east london um that was an old architectural build uh with huge windows very similar to this house actually yeah um uh and a really lovely roommate situation and it just hit a really great well what i didn't know was my last year in london but really high there because we had a great great flat great friends really great culture around us with all the years of of um performing that we'd done and, and directed and and then he said, marry me. And he got a job. Um, he got a position with La Scala, which is the opera house here in Milan. Mm -hmm. He got a position as the set designer to come over and basically, I've just been drawing on myself as well. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so he got a position offered there to do a year of apprenticeship at La Scala mm. as a set designer. And I said, well, whatever, I've been everywhere in the world. Why can't I go to Italy? So I moved with him um, and it was extremely difficult. I found it, I went, we went through a really dark moment um, because it is the first time I moved for someone else and I didn't have my purpose here. It was his and, um, and I'd left behind what I at that point taken for granted was this huge culture of people and resources and, people asking me for work and things that I loved and um, so there was there was a, a mourning process there for sure in so much so that I wasn't you know like I said I wasn't sure what I had gotten what I had I'd, I'd taken for taken it for granted I traveled so much and recreated and restarted my life so many times that just I just thought, thought yeah. Well, obviously yeah I'll do it again yeah. and it'll be brilliant yeah um, but I was older and it wasn't for me and it wasn't, you know, it was the first time I've, I'd done that just for love. Okay. Love it. So I would like to close, start to close out a little bit now because I can see that the baby, Hey baby, <laughs> the baby's, uh, some change of scenery or something. I have got one question for you though. Hey, hello. Hello, no. Which can... is having yeah. kids and being so in your body. What? What? How did that change or alter or what? what how? What did that do for your relationship with your body? Birthing two babies. Gosh, really, really interesting question. Um, I mean, the journey is is a miracle. The journey is just unbelievable although it's extremely normal and extremely natural but it's, it is really unbelievable yeah it happens all the time but when it um it's an experience of also a bit it really unnerved me because it's the first time that i'm in a machine that is going to do something that i have no control over um so this this you know the body changes and things are painful and things are annoying and things are 
difficult and I can't use my body in the way I'm used to, you know, I, I guess I have used to a lot of control over my body. Right. Also, also control over when I can release the control, but like really integrated relationship with my body that all of a sudden has a life of its own and doesn't really mind what I want to do or I don't want to do. It's just going to do something in itself. And I had, uh, I actually went in, I had a few panic attacks about that one quite intense, but I've never had panic attacks in my life. Um, but there was just this sense that I didn't have any more room. When I dug into it, I didn't have any more room for myself in my body. That there was this, you know, I got, I had a proper pregnancy. I had a really big belly. Some women <laughs> don't, but I really had a, a full on pregnancy belly and um, which is great. You know, my body was really healthy, did everything it needed to do. Just the miracle that, that it is. And I ha I realized that I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to live myself and my, uh, myself wasn't going to be able to live in my body. And that passed. And I understood the second pregnancy was, was a lot of that, the, that path had already been, been walked. What was it like being, I was really curious about the birth. I wanted to really experience a birth and see how much presence or how much, um, awareness I could bring into that experience and um so I had both my births were natural um and I'm here to say that we have a lot of evolving to do it's not a very <laughs> well-designed system it's <laughs> insane well, um, so you mean evolution didn't got that quite quite badly wrong <laughs> yeah no we're, we're evolving still which is which is great we're still on the on the evolution curve because our heads are way too big and it's just wrong for the female body but I'm I have to say after after giving birth to Olivia Sole I felt like I could do anything it was really strong for me I felt much more like I'm here it was a real like um, a real grounding experience to, to give birth to to Sole after after Juno and I'm still feeling that like I think that was that I think that's sort of a, a permanent change for me is there's a real mm. sense of um of anything again we're coming back to the beginning anything's possible Oh, I um, love it. and really living in that uh, and beginning to start to build back into doing some of my choreography and and finding my way back into into some meaningful work for me again gorgeous meaningful I don't want to diminish being a mother it's brilliant oh no um, yeah yeah it's, I it's yeah absolutely I yeah. just love how humble you are in your descriptions and I mean like very not modest humble like very straightforward it's like you're a movement mystic in a way, that's what I kind of feel like. And, you know, the way you describe things and presence and so on is so, I don't know that relatable is exactly the word, but you make it no less and no more than it needs to be. The way you tell these stories is very, how can I say, it's very straightforward. It's got a lot of integrity. You're not trying to make more of it or less of it. And I love that. I really, and I'm sure that that's how, how our connection came to be <laughs> just telling the truth but also acknowledging that there's a lot of mystic mysticism and magic in the world but it doesn't need to mean anything more than that unless it does and this other thing control over when I can release control wow yeah. that's that's profound that's something I'm going to be having a little think about here and back to anything is possible and so on my closing question for you then, Zoe, is there are many ways to lead a life. What does that mean to you? 
That almost makes me want to cry, actually. That's really touching. <laughs> it's, uh, what does that mean for me? It's just really inspiring. I think there's a, there's just so much out there to be lived and, and even way beyond the wildest dreams of, you know, what, what I could possibly imagine in my current situation. You know, there's a lot to be experienced and I love it when people get the chance or people are delivered the chance or forced to experience all these different um, manifestations of who they are or who they can be or what the world can can provide beautiful love it I love there was a bit of emotion there and I'm flocking with you (laughs) (laughs) so where can we find you I think it's on your Instagram can you tell us what your Instagram is I started on Instagram because I was doing a lot of flocking online during the pandemic. Um, so I started one called Flocking the Movement. Great. We'll link to that down there. It's um, Instagram and it's Flocking the Movement, all one word, at Flocking the Movement. And that's where you can find Zoe as well. And um, I'm sure you'd be able to, if you Google for the Artful Badger, you'll be able to see all the fabulous images of the brilliant performances and just a wild creativity I mean I'm in creativity at the moment but it's not wild enough at the moment I don't feel (laughs) wild at all so I'm just allowing myself to tune into your wildness tune into your baby tune into you my darling (laughs) darling Zoe thank you so much for being here on the Legends podcast today um, thank you for listening, everybody. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them. And uh, thank you also to Jane Nakata for her technical um, prowess and managing this podcast and also to Laura Marushima and Angela Ortiz, my marketing team who work hard in the background to get these things going. And also Saya Matsumoto, who'll be doing the editing on this video. So thank you, everybody. And bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the Sarah Furuya Legends podcast. Hop over to sarahfuruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, Legends interviews and conversations. Also, you can like and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I absolutely love these interviews and these conversations I have with these people. I don't care about subscribers if I'm absolutely honest. It just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not, but these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Faruya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Faruya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.